0: Future Human Visionaries What Tomorrow Knows Today Produced in association with the v and a. Welcome to Visionaries, a podcast dedicated to futurological thinkers. We seek out people who are reimagining innovation in their field and ask them to apply their intelligence to emerging trends. Keep listening to hear the evolving story of their ideas. Claire Jamieson is a member of the Royal Institute of British Architects think tank, Building Futures. Building Futures research long-term scenarios for architecture, extrapolating how buildings and urban spaces will change as a result of societal, technological, demographic and environmental change. She describes their work and reflects upon how the role of the architect is evolving rapidly.
1: So, just a little snapshot of some of the sorts of projects that Building Futures get up to. So we aim to address the bigger picture, um, and we take demographic, environmental, technological, social, and political changes as drivers to anticipate and speculate upon changes over a 20-year horizon. And our projects have, in the past, looked um, at kind of particular building types like libraries and schools, um, to environmental issues like flooding, as well as issues relating to policy change such as planning and we write reports and think pieces we invite um, professionals to write think pieces for us we hold regular public debates Um, we engage with schools of architecture and we put on exhibitions with the ultimate aim really of generating discussion and affecting change through policy So for every project or debate, we'll start with some trend or some data, something tangible about the present that we can project into the future to imagine a condition that is some way different to the present. And we would then speculate upon how the built environment will have to change to accommodate, resist or anticipate these changes and how in turn the built environment professionals and policymakers can support different futures. So I think in this respect, our use of futures thinking is quite pragmatic building futures actually sits within policy and public affairs team at the rba so we're kind of constantly having to rate, relate what we do to current policies and government white papers and issues affecting how the profession works now so today i thought i'd just quickly talk to you about our most recent report the one mentioned in the introduction the future for architects which i led and wrote in 2011 so this is kind of based upon the premise that i think as we'll probably see today with the next speakers architects are very good at envisioning the future of our cities and our buildings and our kind of spaces um, there's a rich history of this kind of thinking by architects but architects have never been very good at thinking critically about the way they work and their position within a kind of broader built environment professions so architects are typically swept along by changes sidelined pushed out and over the years many of the services that architects traditionally provided have been taken on by other professions. So architects are no longer project managers, cost consultants, engineers, those have all been kind of taken on by other professions. And with rapidly changing procurement and building technologies, accompanied by this changing economic landscapes, architects are often very badly prepared for the future. I think architects in many ways work in a, a bit of a bubble and the way they worked hasn't changed for a long time. So, for this piece of research, we spoke to a whole range of different types of architects. um, Those in smaller practices, more commercial, global practices, as well as clients, so those on the demand side of the table and students, so the professionals of the future. And we use what they said as our evidence base, combined with statistics about um, some sort of changes in the way the profession is working and the context within which architects practice um, to project speculations and really to kind of postulate questions for the future. So the report aimed to ask three key questions. Who will design our built environment in 2025? What roles might those trained in architecture have in 2025? And how might practice change as a result? So I'm just gonna briefly expand on each of these. Um, so who will design our built environment in 2025? Here we speculated upon parts of the industry that might have the greatest opportunities for growth. and. Maybe this is obvious, but the kind of big global interdisciplinary consultancies who are really well positioned to kind of consistently complete large projects or projects at different scales at a very low cost with an integrated service. And we found that clients found these were the most desirable sorts of practice. Um, we also saw that architects are often failing to keep up to date with technological changes in IT and as a result um, subcontractors and specialist suppliers were taking on more and more of the design process obviously not a good thing for architects but we did see opportunities for architects who work in what they might call design houses or creative agencies or spatial agencies those who aren't pigeonholing themselves purely as architects but who move between disciplines to solve problems creatively sort of gathering a mix range of skills under one roof and this goes hand in hand with non-architects contributing to the design of the built environment and of architects working with non-architects to produce more innovative architecture so we spoke to clients who said they could imagine fashion designers working on a facade and material concepts or product designers collaborating on building technology Um, So we spoke to a number of clients who said they could imagine hiring a designer from a completely different field to take on the concept design of a building, sidelining the architect completely. So it will not only be architects designing our buildings in the future, but equally architects will not only be designing buildings. So this leads quite neatly onto the next question. If architects are marginalised in the design of buildings, what other role might those trained in architecture have in the future? I think the assumption here is that just because you've trained in architecture doesn't mean that you will be an architect. Um, And as the supply of architects vastly outstrips the number of jobs architects need to kind of think outside the box. So we've already found a number of architects offering kind of increasingly broad services. There are architects working in art, installation design, community consultation, set design and think tanks, urban design, brand design, research, all bringing creative solutions to clients' problems rather than just architecture. So we think we'll see more practices moving away from the narrow conception of architecture to become spatial agencies or design houses that offer a bigger range of services. In fact, lots of the architects we spoke to felt really restricted by the term architect, feeling that it just didn't convey what it is that they do. And I think it will be interesting to see how professional institutes such as the RIBA might recognise or support people who are not architects in the more kind of formal sense. We found particularly the younger architects expressed a kind of really strong desire not to be architects in a narrow sense, but to hold multiple roles. Another change we thought we might see is architects shifting to the other side of the table so architects being on the demand side of the profession and we speculated that we're likely to see those trained in architecture as clients driving contracting firms or taking roles in public sector procurement and if you look back to the 1970s 50% of architects were employed by local authorities as public sector architects a role that almost no architects hold these days and our view is that a similarly radical change could occur placing architects in other parts of the construction industry and finally how might tra- practice change as a result of all these um, possibilities so we imagine a future where architects work less in rigid insular practices but instead perhaps form looser ne- networks of professionals only coming together for specific projects, so assembling a team that fits the particular project. Um, This will enable them to be much more light on their feet and enable smaller setups to take on larger projects where they're currently unable to. So we imagine a world of practice where the architect does not only focus on being in control of the entire design process but is open to looser, more temporary collaborative processes. We also speculated on the potential for architectural practice to grow offshoot companies or sub-brands in a similar way to building futures is um, to formalise the diverse services they offer. So we found a lot of um, architects found they couldn't get clients to pay for services such as kind of installation or brief development. Um, so we we imagine an architecture practice with perhaps two or three offshoot companies where the same people offer different services to different clients under a different brand name and other areas of thought included the potential integration of education with practice, providing a reciprocal testbed for more research-based ideas and concepts, as well as a pool of talent tailored to the needs of the business. And finally, we speculated on the growing importance of distinctive, distinctive cultures of practice and identities in what is really becoming an increasingly homogenized industry. So we think in the future, practices will have to have a clearly defined UPS or a unique ethos that somehow sets them apart.
0: Glenn Adamson of the VNA asked whether the core remit of architecture is moving from designing buildings to understanding the demands of a future society.
1: The role of the architect is kind of under massive crisis and threat, and it probably has been for the last kind of 15 years. And if architects don't kind of find new ways to use their skills or, or really find new outlets for business, people will actually pay them to do things and they will kind of disappear as we know it I think one of the big things that we've kind of found in our research is that like I said architects find it difficult to get paid for anything other than building buildings despite the fact that that is not their only skill set but the idea of the building type being not being rigid has been something that architects have thought about for a very long time kind of hybrid programming and a kind of mixing up of program was what is the kind of architect's favorite word program which is basically means what happens in a building. Um, I'm not sure if I see that as a particularly new idea. I guess architects haven't been able to fulfill a lot of their more visionary sort of cross programming um, due, due to really kind of pragmatic constraints and maybe due to the narrow mindedness of a, of a client perhaps. And we have to think about how a building might change over its life course, become more flexible, change use. Some architects will become much more interested in being strategic thinkers, being on the other side of the table, not designing buildings, but doing all those other things. But I think there are a lot of architects who just don't want to do that and aren't interested and who are much more interested in um, community-based work, localism, the kind of the individual building. And uh, I mean, a lot of the research that we looked at found that it's really that middle ground, the, the, the architects working in the middle that are likely to perhaps dissolve
0: If future architecture can connect and empower, could it also be used as a tool of repression?
1: I think what Liam perhaps hinted at could be a potential future that we thought about. Architects being on the other side of the table, architects working for those big nasty clients with values that we don't necessarily agree with. At the moment the idea of an architect working for them is not appealing at all, but I think that's one of the ways that they might be able to affect change more effectively I agree that the kind of blankness of rendering and the big style um, utopian is not particularly useful and some of my own research my PhD is actually looking at um, 1980s um, architect, kind of radical architects and the sorts of visions that they had and in particular looking at NATO whose sort of motive force was narrative and architecture but I think what's interesting is that the visions that they produced were very much rooted in London they were kind of experts in London, they were, they were interested in everything about the city and the people who were in it and the way that um, architecture kind of affected the sorts of things that people did and the politics of that era, and their, their visions were a layer that they added on top of that. It was nothing to do with tabula rasa or kind of starting from scratch. It was very much a kind of deep analysis of a place, um, and in a similar way, that maybe Rem Coolhouse is delirious New York's very rooted in a place, and I think that there could be potential for that sort of visionary utopian, dystopian um, thought, which is a lot more specific somehow.
0: How are Western architects being challenged by the emergence of a highly competitive skills marketplace in the developing world?
1: A lot of architects already know that places like China and India are the biggest markets for them at the moment, you know, the, the amount of infrastructure that's going to be built there in the next sort of 20 years is massive. And I think a lot of British architects are trying to, you know, they're seeing that as a place where they might be able to get work but also on the flip side we notice a lot of practices who are being threatened by practices in places like India and China where they have massive workforces which are providing really high quality services at much cheaper prices and they're much more up to date with technology and that that's a real kind of threat to UK or developed developed world practices I think.
0: This recording took place at an event convened by the V&A with support from Z33, the Welcome Collection, and the Arts and Humanities Research Council. This podcast was produced by Future Human in Dulston, London. For more episodes of the Future Human podcast, visit iTunes or soundcloud.com.